Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. In the NOCO is supported by Blue Federal Credit Union, with locations from Denver to Cheyenne, helping members tap into the power of community. More information at bluefcu.com. You're listening to Colorado Edition from KUNC. I'm Jocelyn Mesa Miranda. It's Friday, July 1st. There have been some significant news stories in the last week, including the Supreme Court's decision to end federal abortion rights. Coloradans are still processing that historic ruling. Some residents are joining together to protest, while others are making plans to protect or challenge access to abortion here. KUNC's Scott Franz has more on the early reactions to the ruling and what it might mean moving forward. When Grace Archibald learned Friday morning that states could start banning abortions, she says she was shocked and scared about what might come next. So she made a sign, grabbed a loudspeaker, and that afternoon followed a crowd of protesters marching to the state capitol. I just got up and walked because that's kind of where hope comes from, from community. And it's scary when it feels like the community is against you. She says she was thankful she just made the move to Denver from Ohio, where lawmakers say they will quickly pass an abortion ban. Archibald led the crowd in chants. Drivers honked in support as they drove by. Archibald says each person who joined the crowd, which swelled to thousands of people by nightfall, gave her hope. I hope that that Colorado stays strong, that Colorado keeps humans first, keeps people first. Gia Boscola was in that crowd too. She thinks that people will start moving to Colorado in the next year because of its access to abortion, unlike in some other mountain states. I think we'll start to see a lot of influx from other states and uh, it's already very expensive to live here. And supply and demand, I think, will continue because of the protections we have here. And I think a lot of the blue states will see similar similar patterns. More than 100 miles away in the Roaring Fork Valley near Aspen, medical professionals say they do not know quite yet how the ruling might affect people in Colorado. I can hardly believe it's real. Catherine Bernard is an emergency physician at the Aspen Valley Hospital. But I think for women in general, it's going to change the way they feel about the freedom they have to choose. And I just can't imagine that, uh, you know, I, I can't imagine it right now. But on the front range in Greenwood Village, Christy Burton-Brown is cheering the court's decision. You know, that makes history. It advances civil rights and equal rights under the law. Brown is the chair of the state's Republican Party. I think we should always keep working until every child is protected in love, protected in law. Brown has worked on several of the unsuccessful campaigns to get Colorado voters to restrict abortions. With the Supreme Court ending federal protections, she says she sees a new opportunity in the upcoming midterms. Colorado's laws are so extreme right now with late-term abortion on demand for any reason. That's going to be something we'll see voters reject at some point. Colorado has no time restrictions on abortion, but data shows that in recent years, less than 3% are happening after 21 weeks of pregnancy. 
Right now, opponents of abortion are already outgathering signatures they need for a ballot initiative in November, seeking a ban on most abortions. Democrats are looking to make abortion a top issue in 2024 and the upcoming midterms. Our rights absolutely depend on this midterm election in November. Denea Escar is the majority leader in the Colorado House. We need to make sure that folks are being mobilized and really realize what all is at stake when it comes to majorities, not only at, in Congress, but here in our state as well. Escar led efforts this spring to pass a law guaranteeing access to abortion in Colorado. But if Republicans take control of the state house, they could overturn it. Another growing issue in Colorado, abortion tourism, women coming from out of state for medical care. California, for example, is vowing to spend state funds to promote it, something Escar says Colorado cannot do. The difference between us and California is our state constitution right now forbids us from investing state funds into those types of situations. So we're going to have to not only look at legislation to see what we can do to help support providers, we as um, Coloradans need to see what we could do to help fundraise for these organizations that provide these essential services. Escar says Democrats are not considering a special session this summer to take up abortion legislation, but she says groups are starting to organize to pursue a constitutional amendment protecting abortion in 2024. I'm Scott Franz at the state capitol. Aspen Public Radio reporter Jenna McMurtry contributed to this story. The U.S. Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade could impact abortion services in Colorado. To learn more, KUNC's Bo Baker spoke to Dr. Warren Hearn, director of the Boulder Abortion Clinic last week. He's been providing access to care since 1975. Dr. Hearn, thanks for speaking with me. Mm-hmm. How did this news this morning hit you? I think it's a horrifying decision. It, it is the first time in American history that a constitutional right has been revoked. Um, all the other decisions have uh, tended to expand rights for people. Uh, but this decision uh, by this current court, which is extremely conservative, and I would say medieval, takes away uh, the, the, the status of women and their freedom to make decisions about their own bodies. So this decision hurdles women back several centuries in time. And I, it uh, it makes women chattel, uh, and and it's a very dangerous situation. Dr. Hearn, uh, yeah. what what are we going to see from your view? What are we going to see in Colorado in terms of people seeking care now that this decision has come down? Well, for one thing, uh, it will accentuate a long-term trend of women coming to Colorado from other states to have abortions because they can't get them in their own home state. That's been going on for a long time. Uh, and I've been having patients come to my office for over 40 years from other parts of the country. Uh, that increased uh, during the last year after the SBA Texas law, uh, which outlawed uh, early abortion in Texas and now uh, under in Oklahoma. So all of the states uh, that were uh, that have made the trigger laws abolishing abortion uh, upon this decision will now be uh, places where women can no longer get safe abortions, and they will travel to other states to do that. That's, that's for women who have money. There are plenty of women who don't have bus fare to get from one end of town to the other, much less to the next, next community or to the next state or to Colorado. So those women will either 
can continue their pregnancies or they will suffer and die as a result of inability to get a safe abortion or a self-induced abortion, which can be very dangerous and fatal. So a lot of women will die as a result of this decision. And how do states like Colorado that are trying to protect abortion access, how do we avoid being overwhelmed to the point that we're not able to accommodate the need for care? Well, we're already overwhelmed. I mean, um, all of my colleagues uh, and I have had an increase of of 50 to 100 percent in the number of uh, women we're seeing, and uh, it's uh, it's impossible. You know, I can only see a limited number of patients because we have a highly specialized practice that helps women with very complicated pregnancies uh, that are immediately life-threatening or when they have a catastrophic fetal abnormality. And so uh, we're uh, we're really seeing all the patients we can possibly see, and we're we're scheduled two or three weeks out. Uh, and that's true for all my colleagues and other clinics that I know about. And Dr. Hearn, how do you see your role uh, in this world, in this post-Roe v. Wade decision? Well, fortunately, we're in Colorado, uh, which has been very pro-choice since Colorado uh, was the first state in the country to legalize abortion in 1967. And uh, Colorado has been pro-choice all the time, including under Republican governments. But uh, it's always been a struggle to maintain this right. Uh, But now the Colorado legislature has passed the Reproductive Health Equity Act, which was signed into law on April the 4th by Governor Jared Polis. So that really protects women unless the Republicans take over the state legislature. And so this, uh, my point would be that no woman's life and health should be at the risk and the mercy of the next election or her zip code. Dr. Warren Hearn is the director of the Boulder Abortion Clinic. Dr. Hearn, thank you for your time. You're welcome. Months after the Marshall Fire devastated parts of Boulder County, many families returned to sift through the debris. In the second installment of KUNC's three-part series, From the Ashes, reporter Lee Patterson brings us a story about the memories contained in salvaged objects. It's a sunny and dry afternoon in South Boulder and very windy. Melissa Lockman dreads this weather. I definitely feel really jumbled and apprehensive on the inside, like I'm you know, talking with lots of other fire survivors and, you know, nobody likes the windy days. High winds on the day of the Marshall Fire spread the blaze quickly through Louisville, Superior, and unincorporated Boulder County. Lockman says that telling her two kids their house had been destroyed was awful. Soon after, her daughter Zora, who is now 11, started making a list. Do I want to use the word frantic? Sure. Pretty frantically started writing down everything that she wanted to remember that was gone. Lockman brings out a piece of crumpled legal paper. So that's her list that she made, like, immediately. Every square inch of the page is covered in words written in red pen. Scrunchies, Harry Potter Legos, blue hair dye. I think she has felt very deeply the loss. Lockman describes holding her daughter as she wailed in the days after the fire. Since then, they have both mourned certain items that they didn't grab. Zora's baby blankets, her baby teeth, and notes to the tooth fairy. Those were in an envelope on Lockman's bedside table. It's a tangible item, evidence of 
the story of her and of our family. She was my baby. And then her teeth fell out and she grew up, right? And that's just part of the story of Zora. After spending a lot of time sifting through the ashes, Lachman was able to recover some remnants of her family's old life. Photos, climbing gear, baby Jesus from the family's nativity set, a ceramic lawn frog. But nothing is more important than this smelly, charred pile of papers on a table in her garage. Papers that had been in her basement next to the water heater, which Lachman thinks exploded, saving some of this stuff from burning. There's definitely art made by both of my kiddos. Drawings from preschool, her daughter learning how to write her name. Some pages in this pile are destroyed, some are stuck together. Those are the medical notes from her birth, (laughs) which was epic. (laughs) It was worth documenting. A hospital tag reading Baby Lachman. There are pages and pages and pages of... um, this babysitting log, 7.15 a.m., tiny bit of toast. Lockman loves this stuff, these pieces of her family's story. It helps me to, um, you know, kind of just make sense of the loss. Like, they were this, and now they're something different, and, and that's okay. The Lockmans continue to work with their insurance company to get some items replaced. Friends and community members have helped as well, donating games, stuffed animals, and books. But Lockman believes the aftermath of this disaster would have been easier if her family had been fire ready. Take pictures of your things. Come up with your five-minute plan and your 20-minute plan and your one-hour plan. Um, What are you going to get if you only have five minutes to get it? You know, so I do wish that for everyone because I know that we wanted to and we never made the time for it. And then like, okay, Louisville, Colorado burned, you know, and that nobody expected that. A handful of smaller fires in Boulder County have already forced evacuations this spring. As the risk persists, Melissa Lockman and her family have already become more fire ready. They've written down what they'd grab if they had five, 10 or 20 minutes to evacuate. Plastic bins are now stacked in the garage, ready to be packed with stuff. Lee Patterson, KUNC. Catch the final story in our three-part series from the ashes next week. This project was produced in collaboration with Eli Imadali and the Boulder Reporting Lab. The Greeley Stampede returned this year for the first time since COVID. The Summer Rodeo Festival celebrated its 100th year with rides, children activities and food vendors at the Island Grove Regional Park. I was there last weekend along with lots of families enjoying live music, kids' sheep races and of course I had to try different food trucks. I asked people what brings them back every year. It's just fun to come. Um, I like coming and listening to the music. I think you're just going to meet a lot of different people and you get to see a lot of different things and I think it's really fun. That's Luis Munoz and Hunter Molina. They had their first date here last year at the Greeley Stampede and they came to see Energy Boys perform. Others, like GC Martinez, like to bring the whole family. It's very family-oriented, so my husband and I came out the other night just by ourselves, and there was a lot of things to do for us, but then today we brought our kids, so, you know, being able to do both and watching our kids have fun has been amazing. Many vendors and organizations participate in the Stampede every year. Teresa Myers is the Chief of Communications for Greeley-Evans School District 6, which set up a community booth to talk with people about job opportunities, school admissions, and more. 
It's just a fun event. It's just so nice. We see so many people from the community here. The Greeley Stampede started in 1922 as a simple community fair to bring people together. Today, more than 220,000 guests come from all over the nation to attend the 10-14 to 14 day celebration featuring rodeos, live concerts, and Western heritage. Many people spoke about the great memories they have of the Greeley Stampede, like the Larimer County Fair and PRCA Rodeo Queen Morgan Krause. She's attended the Greeley Stampede since she was a baby. Now, 20 years later, she's here representing her Western heritage. Oh, goodness. I love coming to the parade. That was one of my childhood memories, was getting to watch all the royalty come by, and now I get to be a part of that. We end up coming here with my entire family, aunts, uncles, grandparents, and we also bring all of my hometown friends that aren't used to that rodeo environment. Larimer County royalty participant Avery Loveland started coming to the Stampede as a child. She remembers trying funnel cakes for the first time here. I just like the environment. I like how many people are here. I'm kind of a people person. I like seeing everyone. The people watching here is absolutely amazing. And the food, even though it's bad for you, it's so good. <laughs> the Greeley Stampede is also known for its Grand Independence Day Parade. It starts on Monday at 9 a.m. at the University of Northern Colorado and ends in downtown Greeley. General Manager Justin Watata says there are 113 entries for this year's parade. It's just that community tradition that people come down, mark their same spot that they usually watch the parade and kind of kick it off from there. And then we'll have a demolition derby later that day in the park starting at 2 o'clock, which is a usual sellout. And then that night around 9.30, we'll have fireworks in the park. The Greeley Stampede continues through the 4th of July. That's it for today on Colorado Edition. You can catch the Colorado Edition podcast every Friday, so please hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. Our theme music is composed by Colorado musicians Brianna Harris and Johnny Burroughs. Other music in the show by Blue Dot Sessions. I'm Jocelyn Mesa Miranda. Thank you so much for spending some time with KUNC's Colorado Edition. See you next week.